Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday SEC basketball conversation with Bracken Ray. We talked about a one in one week for the Rebels, the win over Mississippi State, a tough loss to Auburn on Saturday. Where the Rebels sit at the halfway point of the season, some much-needed rest coming up, and a whole lot more as we look around the SEC and throughout college basketball. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy this. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Seaspire. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. College basketball season's heating up. NFL's winding down. If you're trying to make a little money, make a little extra cash in your pocket, you need to go with Skybox. Their bread and butter is and has always been college basketball. I've been saying it on this podcast for years at this point. Let me lend you inside a little bit of Skybox's year-long college basketball action this so far this year. They're up 24 and a half units on overs on the year. They're up 0.027 units on unders, plus 19 and a half units on against the spreads and are up a total of 39 units on the year with the $100 better per unit. You're up almost $4,000. That'd be $3,908 on the season. Don't you wish you had that? Well, you probably didn't sign up for Skybox. Check them out today. You'll find the picks package that fits your price range. Get familiar with Skybox before March Madness. Let them help you make some money on the end of the NFL season and so much more. They're the best sports handicapping site in the business. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. The stats speak for themselves. And if you go online and find a picks package today and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, you'll get 20% off any package. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer, Rippy Wright's basketball correspondent, Bracken Ray, our weekly Sunday basketball conversation. Ole Miss goes 1-1 one and one this week. They get a nice win over Mississippi State, in which was a very, very fun college basketball game, and then lose um to auburn on saturday for their first home loss of the year we'll dive into both a little bit what's up man how are you fun week of basketball yeah i'm good um you know one one and one this week is what we said you know last week when we were on the pod is kind of what you at least need to get to do and almost did it in two pretty emotional games and i think that the the story is probably less around the games and more about the, you know, changing of the environment and landscape for the Ole Miss fan base um, over this week and all the good publicity they got. Um, so, you know, you would have liked to go two and zero. You played one really bad half out of four, uh, but overall, you know, th- uh, th- this is in the good column for Ole Miss this week. 
I agree. I, we can start there environment wise. You know, I, I talked to Chase on, I was kind of in a weird spot podcast wise. And I talked to Chase like late on a Friday afternoon. And it was, you know, night before the Auburn game. We were just kind of riffing about various topics. He had pinch hit and covered uh, Tuesday's game for Neil, who's dealing with the surgery um, of, <laughs> of some sort. But he was talking about like Saturday being maybe the best environment in Ole Miss basketball recent history. And we kind of went back and forth a little bit. Like, I don't want to discount Kermit's first year. Um, those ten- that Tennessee and the Kentucky game in late February, where they kind of have like cemented their tournament bid had they won either of those games, those were pretty electric. And I don't even know if it's worth comparing the two. I guess I bring that up just to say Tuesday and Saturday were the first time I've seen that building anywhere close to that level since that year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it was repetitively done. Um, I don't remember, you know, even the first year of the pavilion or the tournament year under Kermit, there being as many uh, standing room only seats sold. And then also, you know, the students arrival time and how quickly that got filled up. I mean, it's a it's a different deal. Um, You know, the majority of that is is winning and how Beard has marketed the program. I haven't been to a home game yet this year, but it seems like, you know, for these conference games, once you're in seat, it's a pretty good uh, in arena environment as well. And so, um, you know, a a lot of times winning, winning cures all. Yeah, it does. And this build has come quicker. And like, I think that's probably the difference between this year and Kermit's first year is like they were expected to be terrible. It was all kind of new. Kermit didn't have like the brand name and uh, I guess established Uh, brand that beard has and so there's like more anticipation for this and it it certainly lived up to the hype um Ole Miss goes one and one this week I guess we'll start with just some thoughts on the uh Mississippi State game I thought that was a I don't know if it was a well-played game by both teams but I thought particularly toward the end of the game it was very entertaining brand of basketball um it just seemed like Ole Miss kind of rode the wave of being unconscious, hitting perimeter jump shots, and Mississippi State made enough self-inflicted errors to really not have enough in the second half to overcome the deficit they put themselves in. And um, that seems to be a little bit of a theme with them, but good on Ole Miss for capitalizing on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you, you, when you look at the stat sheet, you want to talk about Mississippi State turning the ball over. But I think one thing we haven't talked about enough about this year is how well – Ole Miss has done of um, protecting the ball themselves. I think as we've gotten into conference play and opponents, you know, have become more talented. Ole Miss has had some forced shots um, out of rhythm. Shot selection has gone down, which, you know, is not a turnover, but uh, hurts your efficiency a lot. But in the state game, yeah, I mean, if you look at it, that whole game came down to state turning the ball over and Ole Miss taking advantage of it and, I mean, Juju Murray with a, you know, a, a performance, um, he's he's becoming a legend in Ole Miss rights. Obviously, um, Auburn game was not was not his best game, but he he was just clutch. Um, and man, Hubbard is a special player, too. But I think that one thing that's a really positive sign is he was super hot and uh, on top of it in the first half. And I think Ole Miss made some good adjust- adjustments to where he was not as much of a factor in the second half. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. And Ole Miss, you know, we talked about them being 
one of the or they were the top uh, percentage wise three point shooting team in the conference for the first couple weeks of uh, conference play, despite taking the least. They took 30 on Tuesday night in the win, which seems a bit uncharacteristic. But if you look at the last couple of games, they have started shooting it with more frequency. Do you you mentioned the four shot aspect? Do you is there any common thread there? What do you kind of see the reason for Ole Miss taking more perimeter jump shots, particularly three point jump shots in the last week or two? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a mixture of both, right? I think at the state game, um, there were some timely shots, some clutch shots that were contested that they took. But they also were able to create and get downhill to where they had a lot of open, uncontested shots as well. Um, and we dove into the numbers a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, like Ole Miss from a volume of uncontested looks this year and the percentage that they're making on contested looks is – night and day difference, um, you know, compared to last year. Um, I do think at times, you know, there there have been some um, out of rhythm three-point shots where you have the first look, you shot fake or dribble, and then come back to the three-point shot is one thing. And then the second thing from a mid-range game, and you see this specifically with Morrell and Flanagan a lot against Auburn, is just a lot of forced contested looks that are out of rhythm within the offense. I think that's hurting Ole Miss right now. Um, and, you know, they they scored 86 on Tuesday and 77 on Saturday. I think they've got enough at least guard scoring um, to where they can be a little bit more patient to where they're not having to force up shots. But, yes, in a way, you know, some of these forced contested looks, both uh, mid-range sometimes that are like post-up or – um, the three-point shots as well it is hurting them offensively. And the real difference maker on Tuesday night that seemed to carry Ole Miss over the hump, aside from Murray's legendary performance, was they got 18 in 27 bench minutes from T.J. Caldwell, um, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, Ole Miss had only, I think they only had 26 bench points the, uh, from the entire team, and he's got 18 of them. Pretty, I would say, out of left field performance for a guy who's played a decent bit, but really hasn't been much of a consistent offensive threat. I think he may have been the one I can't remember. It was him or Nunez who hit the corner three against Texas A&M. And I think that was the first three pointer they had taken in conference play, whichever one it was, but he was remarkably good for Ole Miss in that second half of the state win. And they certainly needed it. And no doubt, no doubt. And look, the big thing about state was Cissé got in foul trouble, you know, so early. Um, and some of it was just, you know, some people talked about officiating, but there was a lot of stuff that CSA was doing to, that was self, you know, inflicted. But what happens is when CSA goes down, Sharp is showing himself as not physical and capable enough to play, um, you know, an SEC play. And so you have to play break field a lot at five and go small. And when that happens, you know, you, some of your guards that start are going to need a breather on the bench or you need somebody else to step up off of the bench um, to help. And Caldwell, uh, both in the first and second half, honestly, really stepped up. Um, and uh, he stepped up in ways when State was going on runs to kind of stop the bleeding, which was super important. We saw uh, spurts of it in non-conference play from T.J. Caldwell, I think. You said it best, it's consistency, but I think he's got a pretty decent ceiling. And when you know, when it's all said and done, is going to turn into a, a pretty solid SEC player. You mentioned, I think that what you just mentioned transitions well and kind of tying the two games together. If there's any common theme, Sharp proving himself not to be um, physical enough to play in SEC games. 
when you mention that, that's for long stretches, right? Like when you have Cisse in foul trouble and he's going to have to sit for a long stretch, you could get away with a couple minutes, maybe try to get to the next media timeout with Jamarian Sharp, but you can't just play him as the five until Cisse is no longer in foul trouble and the game allows for it. At some point, that lineup's going to have to come out just because you can't survive long stretches with him at the five. That, that's right. And I think when you mainly see it when it's a huge problem is when you have physical bigs um, you know, that you're playing against. Uh, so, I mean, if you think about it, like Rashad Marshall, he didn't play very well against Auburn, but I thought he, he, you know, he played pretty decent against State. I mean, not anything that you can see that jumps off the page on the stat sheet, but he's a lot more physical than Sharp. And so what's happening is Sharp, A, like we said, against these physical bigs, I mean, it's a, it's a matchup nightmare. The other issue with Sharp is Ole Miss likes to switch a lot defensively. And when he gets out on the perimeter, he gets lock-legged and crossed up, you know, very, very easily. And you're taking him out of his biggest and really only strength, which is rim protection. Um, so I think Ole Miss, you know, was able to get away with that a lot more against inferior opponents in non-conference play. But teams are really exposing that in conference play. And if you know Ole Miss is going to switch as much as they do – as an opposing coach, if you're smart, you're gonna run. You're gonna run action to get a guard in a one-on-one situation with Sharp and kind of ISO him um, because you know he's so uncoordinated and gets locked legged as as well. So that's that's Sharp's issue, and I mean the strength, the physicality also hurts him. You know a lot on the rebounding end as well. And so he doesn't play in Saturday's loss over Auburn. Uh, Chris Beard said it was an illness. Uh, I don't think it was anything that anyone was on before the game. I just showed up and noticed in warm-ups that he was not warming up and that he was in in sweats or whatnot. But Chris Beard mentioned it kind of after the game when talking about how well Auburn played. Do you see him? I, I know they were shorthanded, particularly in the front court, which we talked about. They went small. Auburn's got some pretty large physical bigs. But did you w- do you think it would be much different had he played against Auburn on Saturday? No, I don't at all. Um, I I, I kind of predicted that I didn't think that his season average in conference play was going to be, you know, in double digits. I thought it would be less than that. I, I really don't think um, that would have made that big of a difference. You know, both of the guys for Auburn, they're bigs, uh, you know, Williams and Broom. They're big and physical, but also they're really damn skilled, right? Like Cissé – and sharp, you know, are, are true centers, but they don't have much back to the basket game. You know, these two guys are skilled. They can dribble, pass, shoot. They can do it all. Um, both of them combined took seven three-point shots, you know, three-point attempts. And so um, that's really, you know, the difference that Ole Miss is seeing right now is you've got Breakfield as a four who can stretch out and, and shoot threes, but at the five spot, you're super limited offensively. Yeah, and that that was kind of the story of Saturday's loss to Auburn, I guess, as we kind of transition fully into that. Ole Miss plays really, really well in the first half. They're up 13 at one point, may have swelled to even 15 or 16. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I remember it being 42-29 with a couple minutes to go in the first half. And it was like, if Ole Miss can get in the locker room, they can have another two-minute you know, offensive burst. They'll really be in kind of a position to put Auburn – Auburn away pretty early, but then those last couple of minutes, you have a turnover. Auburn hits a three. They get a couple of buckets, and all of a sudden, it's 44-35 at halftime, and I remember looking at Michael, who I sit next to, 
I was like, man, they played really, really well to be only up nine. And I know only up nine is a bit of an oxymoron in its own right, but it just, for whatever reason, with as capable as Auburn is offensively, I was like, they they would have done well to somehow manage to hang on to go up 15 points or so. Did you kind of feel the same way? Exactly. And I you know, watched the game with 10 or 15 people and everybody was kind of saying the same thing that last, you know, two minutes of the first half is like, man, really would have been nice to be up about 12 or 14 there. Um, by no means is Auburn going to lay down and quit, but that's a, you know, that that's a big difference. And I think it was a little bit of a momentum swing, not in the fact that Auburn went into half with, you know, more momentum than Ole Miss, obviously down nine, you're not, but with that crowd, if you go into the half up 14 and, you know, you make the last shot um, of the last possession or you hold Auburn to a stop there to, you know, go up 14. I mean, that place is still rocking. You're going in with a lot of momentum as well. So that stretch was was super important and pivotal and Ole Miss wasn't able to capitalize. No, they weren't. And Auburn shoots 13 of 34, just 37 percent. Um, or I don't know what that percentage is actually from the field, but 13 to 34 from the field in the first half. Broom gets in like a little bit of foul trouble late in the half to where he's only on the floor for 11 minutes. He did not score in the first half, had a couple rebounds and a couple assists. And then he was just the difference in the second half. He came out, was not in foul trouble for the majority of the second half. He got a third kind of early, and I was surprised that Ole Miss was not able to at least get him in more disadvantage. Yeah, disadvantageous situations. I may have just made up a word there to try to get him his fourth. I know that's easier said than done than just say go at the guy. He's a hell of a defender too. But he was really the difference in the second half because he would catch the ball low enough to where it was just kind of over at the point. They tried Marshall on him for like two minutes and he just whipped him. I don't even actually know if he had touched him on that dunk and they got him out. They just Ole Miss, long way of saying Ole Miss did not have an answer for him in the second half. Same with Baker Mazzara as well. Agreed. I thought in the same way that you did as well, that offensively they were going to try to run some action at him um, to try to get him to pick up that fourth foul. One of his three fouls was probably kind of a 50-50, to be honest. Um, And it may may have been that third um, where I was like, oh, you know, that was probably a win for Ole Miss there uh, on the whistle. But, you know, sometimes as a coach – you do try to run stuff like that and things get discombobulated. Execution's not great. Um, but li- like I said, he is super skilled um, for his size and Ole Miss hasn't seen a lot of that this year. There isn't a whole lot of that really at his level across the the league as a whole. Um, he, he's really unbelievable to watch. Do you remember him at all coming out of high school? I know this is a kid that spent two years at Moore- Moorhead State, destroys that league and then shows up at Auburn and doesn't really miss a beat. Um, how common or uncommon is that of a recruiting story with a guy, his frame, but he just kind of came in the SEC and just kept wrecking stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think you hit it best. Um, he was a little after my time from the recruiting standpoint, but when you look at it, like we talk about transfers and that are at the low and mid major level, are they going to be able to, you know, adapt to high major and, and, you know, to the high major level, to the SEC level. And it's not just that, but the grind of night in and night out. A lot of these low to mid-major teams, you know, during non-conference play really good teams because of buy games. So they've seen it some, but it's that night in and night out, uh, 18 games of SEC play. The thing that with Broom, if you compare it to like a CSA, is just, I mean, he has an SEC body, right? I mean, he's 
big and athletic to where that translates real well. And he's got a solid skill set for his size um, also. So um, it, it doesn't, you know, that's one that because of his strength and physicality does not shock me that it's translated as well as it has, even though it's a major increase in talent that he's playing against on a nightly basis. Yeah, it is, it's impressive to watch. He's a fun basketball player to watch. And oh, he really gave Ole Miss fits. And then the other piece of it offensively, Ole Miss shot the ball pretty well collectively from the field in the first half and really kind of cooled off a bit in the second half, turned it over a little bit more. But you also had Juju Murray go four, uh, two of 12 from the field, didn't make a three-point shot and only has four points. Did you notice anything from him in particular? Did Auburn do anything particularly well? You had the you know legendary performance against Mississippi State and then a huge drop-off. And at this point, it seems kind of clear. If Murray scores four points in a game, Ole Miss is not going to have a shot against very many folks. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um you know, they were able to get over screens pretty well on him. And some of their guards are smaller but pretty physical. And that at times has hurt him. Um, you know, Flanagan, there's there's a lot of debate after the game. I mean, it's frustrating some of the shot attempts that he took in the second half. Then you look up and he also, you know, led the team in uh points and I think was second in in rebounds as well. And, you know, the thing for him is I think that's a pretty emotional game for him. I mean, obviously, he played there. His dad was an assistant there. And, you know, sometimes you want to be the hero. But, you know, as a fifth-year senior, they just got to get him back on track. Um, and this group, look, I mean, offense points-wise has been pretty good recently. But this group at times goes through stretches where they, you know, four shots. And a lot of that, like we said earlier, is him and Morrell. If they can – if they can kind of take that away, I think it's going to be huge for them because at times when you force shots that are out of rhythm, it can lead to easy transition buckets. And now you look and that's a four or five point swing really just off of one possession. Um, and so as Ole Miss goes forward, you know, you're, you just pat, you just hit the halfway mark in conference play. The second half of conference play, I think that that's really one thing that uh, is low-hanging fruit that they can work on is getting back to that shot selection and efficiency that they had um, really in like December of this year in non-conference play. It's more noticeable, particularly ever since you started talking about it on the podcast, the, the lulls in the game that they go through where the ball gets stuck and then you end up, honestly, it seems like Flanagan more often than not taking some kind of contested mid-range shot. Um, it seems like seeming on the left side of the floor a lot of the time, at least from my vantage point. But you're right, he scores 20. I get it's an emotional game for him. It didn't feel like an efficient 20 at all. It seems like part of the yeah. package with him sometimes is just absorbing. Like, yes, he's gonna have two or three possessions that really just piss you off if you have a rooting interest in the game. Um, but also has been very important. I mean, I don't want to really like lose context to that as well. But you're right. I mean, there were some possessions with him in the second half. That, that really hurt Ole Miss, particularly when that game got tight with about nine, yeah. nine minutes left and Auburn pulls away. But I mean, all that aside, at the end of the day, Auburn missed eight shots in the second half. They were 22 of 30. Um, that's good for a cool 73% uh, percent from the field. That'll work in the second half. And they were just kind of too much for handle. And that's another for Ole Miss to handle. That's another piece of it, though. Auburn, a team that not a lot of high uh, preseason was in terms of expectations, they look like one of the best teams in the country. I, I don't know if you agree with no that. Doubt. Where do you kind of view them in the tier of college basketball now? Because that's another piece of this. They're really, really damn good. I mean, they honestly, to me, look like a three or four seed. Um, 
And, you know, the big thing is they out-rebound Ole Miss by 16 last night. Beard called it out in the press conference after the game. We've talked about this for years now, but they are a lot better at Ole Miss at getting downhill and getting paint touches, and it was nonstop last night. And what happens with Ole Miss is at times, you know, when they're not able to get downhill, they do like – uh, they're whoever is their three man morale or Flanagan kind of like to post ISO and do that. And it just, it's not very efficient. So looking at the stats, Hey, the first thing that jumps off, obviously, you know, lose by 16 on the glass, you know, story of the season, but then three point uh, free throw percentage, you know, is about the same for Ole Miss and Auburn, but the two point percentage is where Auburn did a lot better because they were able to get into the paint. Um, and that's what Ole Miss has to work on. But, look, at this point in the season, a little bit, you are who you are. And, you know, Juju is able to get downhill. But outside of that, there's not a ton of wiggle um, from the rest of these guards. And so that's just something that Ole Miss, you know, has to keep in mind going forward. We'll get back to Bracken in just one second. But before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Bracken. Two things that stuck out from each of each coach's press conference on Saturday. Beard blamed the conditioning a lot. He said he kept he mentioned multiple times that he thought Auburn was the better conditioned team. I get Ole Miss is a little bit shorthanded on the bench with not having Sharp, but nothing too crazy. What did you make of that? Because I don't really know how you fix like conditioning at this point in the year. But he talked about physical fatigue leading to mental lapses and them not being mentally tough. Yeah. And that transition to one another. Did you take anything away from that? I just I've never never heard a coach often mention that in a February basketball game. Yeah. Well, one thing that's kind of similar or a similar thought to this is it, it's a grind, right? Night in, night out, playing home games, road games, all against good teams. And honestly, Ole Miss and conference play outside of Vanderbilt has played a lot of really good teams. Um, but Ole Miss was sharp not playing last night. You had five guys who played 24, excuse me, six guys who played 24 minutes or above. 
uh, the rest of your group played three, three and 12 minutes. Um, is there an argument that TJ probably could have played a little bit more than he did on Saturday? I think you could make that argument, especially, you know, you want to feed the hot hand, you know, after Tuesday. But all that to say, one thing that I, when I was looking at the schedule, you've got at South Carolina and then at Kentucky. The big thing is you have Saturday off. And I think Saturday off, just like football, it's, it's kind of like a bye week in a way. Uh, you get six days rather than 13 days, you know, for football. But Ole Miss just with playing so many battles, I think after this Auburn game, it's going to be good to get your legs back under you playing a short lineup, um, you know, a heavy minute short lineup. Yes, you've got Marshall and Nunez that, you know, may come in and play three or five minutes, mainly before a media timeout just to get some of these guys extra rest. I think it's coming at a really good time. And, you know, it'd be really nice, it'd be really nice to go into that week off uh, six and four in conference play with the win at South Carolina. You just pointed out something I had not even noticed on the schedule, but now I'm looking at it, I was wondering why the dates looked weird. What is up with the, the Saturday off? Is that SEC big whatever challenge related them not playing in it? But usually they just have those teams playing conference games. Do you know what did what went into this Saturday off? Um well let's let's see there. Is there is the is there a challenge on Saturday? I can't remember off the top of my head. That's usually just my go-to default whenever there's like a weird scheduling thing. Yeah. But I'm about to check that now. I thought, uh, I thought during conference play you normally uh, have at least one week where you kind of have, you know, a stretch off. Um, but it would be it'd be interesting to see um, for some of these other teams because Ole Miss obviously finishing <laughs> – Ole Miss finishing uh, the way they have the past couple years would make sense for what you're talking about, but I don't think there is a, a big 12 challenge. Um, no, there's none of that. It's just a bunch of other teams play conference games and then Kentucky plays Gonzaga. So maybe this is just something I've missed over the years, but I, I had not recalled having the, the, was that a thing when you guys were around? Did you guys yeah. have one Saturday off? Well, I don't think it's necessarily a Saturday. It's a stretch of six days off. Okay. Gotcha. That so it could be like a Tuesday, sense. Tuesday or a Wednesday, Tuesday, something like that. I got you. That makes sense. That does seem like it's coming at a pretty good time for Ole Miss. And then the, the note I had just from Bruce Pearl's press conference, and look, a lot of times you can get these situations where the opposing coach comes in first. There's, unless it's Kentucky or someone else, not a lot of media covering the away team a lot of times, particularly you know where the game falls and whatnot, and you can get him like overly complimenting uh, the home team, particularly after a road win because you've got a bunch of home beat writers trying to ask questions relevant to them. But Bruce just walked in yesterday in opening statement and just sat down and goes, okay, that was our best win of the year. And I was pretty shocked by that. Um, but if you listen to part or all of his press conference, he kept going back to that. He kept calling that this team took a step forward today. What did you make of that? Because it didn't feel as significant on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I think Bruce has a lot of respect for Beard as well. And by no means do any opposing opposing coaches fear, fear Beard. But that's one where you know it's going to be a battle, you know, going against him um, as well. And look, looking at Auburn's schedule, I mean, it it, it is uh, it is their best win because they their other wins. I mean, if you look at you know they were zero and four in quad one before last night, uh, in in quad one games. So that's Ole Miss. You know, was in the. Uh, high 50s, low 60s in that, I believe, road game, top 75 equals quad one. So, you know, um, 
Auburn had beat Notre Dame um, at home. They're not very good. Um, then you look at it like USC, they're just fine. Ar- at Arkansas, not good. You know, A&M at home is a good win, but an at Ole Miss is a better than A&M at home. Um, so they they really don't – that was their first, you know, quality win of the year. Uh, they played Vandy twice. They lost to Bama. They lost to State. Um, but, you know, I think he was trying to be complimentary of Ole Miss more than anything um, and knew that that was going to be a battle. And, look, Bruce against the two previous coaching staffs, you know, has has failed at times. I mean, there's always the running joke that he never figured out how to attack the one three one that Ole Miss threw as well. And so I think it was a little weight on his shoulders to be able to sweep, um, you know, opponent that maybe he he's had some PTSD from that has upgraded in the coaching uh, category. Absolutely, I think you answered that perfectly too. Because they get their schedule when you look at it after this game, they get Alabama at home, and then they have to go to Gainesville, and then you get South Carolina and Kentucky at home before a road trip to Athens. So these next like couple of weeks, I think Tennessee's there uh, toward the end of the year too. So like when you look at the next two three weeks for them, there's a couple of tough road games. There's some really tough home games, and not that there's a ton of room to exhale at any point throughout an SEC schedule, but it felt like he thought his team was going to have one of its toughest stretches coming up. And today was a nice feather in their cap to finally getting a quad one road win and getting it done on the road. But I was just surprised. He just kind of sat down and was like, okay, that was the best one of the year. We'll get that out of the way first. We're discussing any further. Um, but anyway, just kind of an interesting note from that. So Ole Miss sits at five and four at a halfway point, nine yep. games remaining. They're a pretty good position. Um, as far as, you know, having a chance to make the NCAA tournament, we talked about changing expectations and all of that with this team, their net, I believe, as I checked it before this podcast set at 61, where do you kind of view them resume wise heading into the second half of the season and their chances at getting an at-large bid? Yeah. I mean, look, I think that, you know, if you would have taken 18, you know, 18 and four, five and four, you're kind of where you need to be. Like we said before last week, Hey, go one and one this week. You'd like to go one and one this week as well. Uh, it's going to be tough. You know, Rupp Arena, South Carolina hasn't done a whole lot of losing this year. Um, the One of the biggest surprise stories in college basketball, you know, in my opinion. Um, I'm, and I was dead wrong on Lamont. I kind of thought that going into year two, it's kind of the Chad Morris thing. Like, if your year one is that bad, it's kind of hard at times to do the year two with how much pressure there is now compared to 10, 20 years ago um, from a head coach standpoint. And your leash is so small. But he he's done a really good job. Um, and so for Ole Miss, the big thing about going one and one this week is you'll start noticing in net, if you go one and one, uh, you're let's say you beat South Carolina, you're gonna increase, you know, maybe five or seven spots in the net. But you could go lose at Kentucky and not move any in the net. Right. Because your strength of schedule is increasing so much. So the big thing for Ole Miss, if you can finish the back half five and four or six and three. Well, your strength of schedule and, you know, the, the resume in general of the teams that you've played has in, increased drastically because your non-conference was so weak um, that you're going to be in really good position. I still think, you know, 10 with the SEC tournament, I think, is the number. Um, that's what I have in my head. And don't lose to Missouri. You know, don't uh, lose to Missouri. We said it earlier this year, hey, you can't lose to Vanderbilt. You for sure as hell, thank God, didn't lose to Detroit Mercy, right? I mean, that just changes the whole outlook of the season. But at this point, um, you need you need five more wins. 
um, including the tournament, in my opinion, the SEC tournament in Nashville, and you cannot have any of those losses beat a Missouri. As I'd say, so you mentioned the five more win. The other way to look at it, too, they get Missouri twice in the schedule. Two of those seemingly their best opportunities out of those five wins to get there. Uh, like the way you put it, have to be Missouri. When you look at something like that, and you mentioned the strength of schedule solidifying so much, when you're in a stretch like this and you're a team on the bubble like Ole Miss, this is probably a silly question, but would you rather have Missouri twice like they have on there or have them once and a better team on there for the second slot? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I mean, <laughs> it almost is like I need to know the answer to the outcome, you know, first. Right. <laughs> but it's it's the same thing as what we've talked about, you know, a couple times now, like Alabama non-conference schedule. And I, I'd absolutely rather have Alabama's non-conference schedule and, you know, go through some stretches of struggle rather than, you know, go 13-0 and because of where Ole Miss was from a net standpoint heading into conference play at 13-0. and Um and Ole Miss has proven when they play similar talented teams that they're going to compete. Tennessee's a lot more com- talented than Ole Miss, right? I mean, that's a that's an outlier. But then, hey, you know, look at Florida. Um, you know, that's a similar team to Ole Miss. Ole Miss won, you know, State. Now State at, on the road is going to be a different story. If you were playing with Florida on the road, it would be a different story. Um, so, you know, and that will be the interesting thing next year is to see what that non-conference schedule looks like, I think it'll be significantly more aggressive. Yeah, I think so too. But when you inherit us, when you're in year one, and we've probably talked about this before with Beard, there's how much of that can you control? Like it wasn't that aggressive this year, but I feel like when you take a job like that, is is all of that still within your control or is some of that out of your hands? Uh, so you have some um, that are like a year or two long contracts. You'll have some home and homes that, you know, you're already signed for, and then you'll have some games uh, you know, like some of these teams you buy, like a Bryant, um, that's already set in stone. And a lot of people were like, well, you know, why can't you just change it? You would have to buy the team out of that game. So now you're talking about spending $100,000 to buy the team out of that game. 75 to 85% of these teams' non-conference schedules when Beard, you know, got to Ole Miss were probably already solidified. And you're just doing the best that you can at that point. But I do think that, you know, like we said, hey, he could only control a little bit. He got that Cal game, you know, neutral site. Not that they're good, but that is a, you know, a power five, power six team. Um, and so going into next year, I mean, I'm sure they've already got some stuff in the works that, you know, we don't even know about for their November and December slate. Right. That makes sense. Uh, one last old Miss related thing before we kind of look in the SEC and get out of here. I know I've asked this question a couple of different times, but Brandon Murray hit a couple of shots early in the Ole Miss game. Looked like he might have been getting in rhythm. He hit a couple of three-pointers and then just kind of fades for a bit. The last two games he's played, I think, around the 24-minute mark for each yep. of those games. I'll have to go back and watch, look at the state stat a second time. But for a guy that was big news when he got eligible um, – we keep talking about him fitting in. Has there been any change there? How do you kind of view what he is to this team now that we have a larger sample? Yeah, size? no, it's a great – I think the past couple of games he's played well. He's rebounded, right? And so when you can get a guy who probably thought he was going to come in and be a day one starter, obviously you have the eligibility thing. But to come in and do something that's not scoring related I think is great. If you look at him and his stops at LSU and Georgetown, he was a little bit more of a volume guy inefficiently. Um, and so I think Beard 
really in non-conference play. We've talked about the outliers here, but he's got it ingrained in a lot of these guys' heads on shot selection and stuff like that. And I think Murray knows that if he takes a lot of forced looks, then his minutes would decrease. Um, but the thing that I don't think people see, because uh, it's not on a stat sheet, is he's a really good physical on-ball defender. Um, you know, he's got he's got length, um, and he can play a few different spots as well. So, you know, looking at his point average, I think he was 14 a game at Georgetown last year. I get that people are like, hey, this guy is not giving us what we thought he is. But, um, you know, his plus minus, if you looked at that, while he's been on the floor the past couple of games has probably been pretty good. And so just because we're not running a ton of action for him or getting him going, you know, offensively, not a huge deal because they're getting him going in a lot of other different ways as well, uh, positively. Let's take a look around the SEC real quick before we get out of here. Results from the weekend primarily, but just the week. We'll start in uh, Tuscaloosa. Alabama wastes no time uh, running Mississippi State out of the gym. That game felt like it was 14 points before I could flip over from the Kentucky-Tennessee game for the first time. Doesn't get much better in the second half for Mississippi State. There was some talk about, like, Tulu, not Tolu Smith not looking healthy in that game against Ole Miss. But, again, even in a blowout loss, he scores 23 and looked fine on Saturday night. Um, yeah. State not very good on the road. I know that's a common thing in college hoops, but they're really, yeah. really bad on the road. What do you make of a tough week for them? Yeah, I mean – a lot of this right now is, you know, if you look at it, it's so hard. I think 20 years ago, you knew what 80% of your roster was going to be. And now they've got, you know, leaning on some freshmen, leaning on some transfers. Um, and for state, I think it's just gelling um, on the road. But I think, honestly, the bigger story I see is, do you know how hard it is to be 8-1 and one in the SEC? I mean, what Alabama is doing right now is – you know, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, and I think some people early this season, because they played such a tough non-conference strength of schedule, they kind of turned into like people weren't talking about them enough um, in kind of late December, early January. But they're a force to be reckoned with right now. Uh, yeah, they are. And what they're I mean, the way they're doing it, too, is ridiculous. I mean, they have. They have wins. They have a 25 point win over South Carolina, an 18 point win over Missouri. Uh a uh, 21-point win over LSU. They got down like 14 against Georgia and almost won the game by double digits. They run state out of the gym. They have a gear when they're playing well, and I, I've heard Oates talk about this a couple of times. It, it was frustrating to him as them not always getting to that level, but they kind of have a gear that it doesn't seem like anyone else in this league has. Yes, and I think, I mean, just like in previous years, they do a good job of efficiency. You know, they get a lot of paint touches, get inside both of their guards and their bigs, take efficient two-point shots, don't take a ton of mid-range. And, you know, if they had scored 100 last night, that would be their seventh 100-point game of the year. I mean, it, it's it's remarkable. So, you know, interesting to see how they match up in fair in the tournament. And uh storyline that I'm always looking, looking at is, you know, how much longer does Tom Izzo have at Michigan State? Because that may shuffle some things at Alabama. Really? So – I mean, I get it, Michigan State, but like Oates, let's just say they have a pretty good year this year. Maybe they make it the second week in the NCAA tournament and Izzo calls it quits. What are you weighing in terms of going to Michigan State or not, or is it a no-brainer? Uh, he's from that area as well, um, and there's always been talk that he would go there. I would say uh, more likely than not he would accept that job. Interesting. 
That's uh that's gonna be an interesting one to watch going forward. Um, I don't know who else had a better week than South Carolina this week. They get a road win at Tennessee and then win by double digits against George on the road. I know we hit on Lamont Paris earlier, but uh the Gamecocks, again, computers still not loving them metric wise. But I mean they're 19 and three and seven and two. You mentioned how hard it is to be eight and one in the SEC. Uh seven and two, only one worse than that. They just don't lose. Yeah, and they 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 don't, they've got you know, they've got a little bit – they play more guys, honestly, um, than some of these other teams do. Michi Johnson and B.J. Mack have had a have had a great year so far. Um, and I just – I don't – I don't – I haven't watched – like, I don't know what – I don't know what Lamont is doing. Um, but it, it's pretty phenomenal to see the jump that they've had. And that's a program that has historically been the bottom four or five uh, program in the SEC. So he's got that thing going. There's a lot of momentum in Columbia right now. Yes, there is. Um, and then on the, the other side of it, you got LSU, Arkansas. LSU sitting there 12 and nine, four and four in the league. I never knew what to judge, like how to judge McMahon's deal. Like, I mean, I think he got like a yeah. seven year contract and went to eight once it was no, just they got a postseason ban or whatever. They're four and four. I, you know, I couldn't even tell when Ole Miss played them. It was like, are these guys any good? What do you kind of make of LSU? Yeah, you know, they, they did give him that long contract because of the probation after Wade. Um, you know, it's like hard to judge. It's like he's one of these guys where you can't really say that he's done a bad job in his two years there, but you can't say he's done a good job as well. You know, like well, what he's done so far is just it's been it's been fine. Ole Miss obviously kind of laid one down there. Um, but that historically is a school that puts a lot of um non on the PL budget <laughs> towards basketball. Um so it'll be kind of interesting to see what year three is like uh for McMahon there. I, I was a huge fan of him um when he was at Murray. Obviously John Morant, Shaq Buchanan. Um and then you know after year four of Kermit there was a little talk, you know, rumblings more probably Twitter message board than anything that Kermit may not get a year five. So this we're speaking two years ago. And I thought that that was somebody that Ole Miss should go after aggressively. I am not super impressed with the staff that he's put together. Um, and to be honest, that is always my fear um, with some of these low to mid-major guys is the connections that they have um, and the staffs that they're able to put together. You know about Beard's going to do it because he's done it before and he can bring a half his staff from his previous place over. Um, but I think that, you know, just on paper, kind of looking at their staffs compared to others, that's the one thing that sticks out to me there. Not much to say about Arkansas. Did They played well in the midweek and played one of their best games of the year and just destroyed Missouri. And then they get run out of the gym in the first like 12 minutes of this game. That just seems like a lost year from us. I mean, that I, a lot going on there, right? Uh, you know, triangles and such, not talking about the triangle offense either, but just like, I, that's just one there. I don't see them turning this around at this point with the personnel they have left. Um, agreed. I mean, and like I said, you know, every good coach has had years like that. I mean, Roy had one, Coach K had one. You're going to have some years like that. Um, Muss has proven that he can coach. He's been an NBA coach. He did good things at Nevada, Arkansas. He's an assistant at LSU for a point in time. And so it's frustrating as a fan because you're so in the moment to think, hey, bigger picture, 
you know, he could completely turn a roster over to where it's a sweet 16 caliber roster, you know, this off season. Um, but I know that that that's not the way they think in Fayetteville. Florida loses on the road by one at A&M. Gus is, I, I, I was about to say Gus. I don't know where my mind went on that. What do you make of the job Golden's done at Florida so far? They're 15 and seven, five and four, kind of been up and down for them so far in SEC play. But what do you make of the job he's done? Because he was saying he got there the same year as Jans did. And I was always kind of interested yeah. to see who would have success quicker. Yeah. I, um, and, you know, Golden's, Golden's pretty young. Um, I mean, I think, look, for Golden, it's going to be a lot easier to judge that at the end of the season this season because they still have tournament, you know, hopes in sight, right? I, I, you probably you probably were able to see it earlier today. I would imagine they're, what, in like the high 40s in the net? They were somewhere in the 40s, if I'm not mistaken. I think yeah. I actually have the tab up somewhere. But, yeah, 45, 47-ish. Yeah, so they've still, you know, they, they still can accomplish – you know, a lot of things. I think for him, they're five and four in the SEC, like you said. And for him, getting to the tournament this year would be huge and just see what happens once you get there. What's so interesting is that used to be considered the best job outside of Kentucky in the SEC, um, especially after the, you know, national champion uh, run that Billy Donovan had. So for him, it's kind of like, hey, what are expectations now? You know, Whitey, if you look at Ole Miss would have taken what Mike White did at Florida at Ole Miss in a heartbeat, right? That kind of wasn't enough for them. And part of it's, you know, there's some pressure there for why he went to Georgia. And so it, the thing that's interesting now in this new era of basketball, NIL and the transfer portal is what is Florida's expectations for men's basketball and what resources are they putting into it? Yes, and are they reasonable? Because that's really kind of flipped the script on this. You're exactly right. Uh, White's deal there was very interesting because, like, they would. It was almost. It was never. It was rarely overwhelming in the regular season, but it felt like every time he got to the tournament, they would win games, a game or two, and like it was a very strange situation. Him going to Georgia made a little bit of sense, but yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, because you're right, you got to let the year play out and see what that looks like after you know three full years or two full years, whatever it is. Um, and then lastly, the only other one I wanted to hit of any sort of consequence, Tennessee goes into Kentucky and just puts on an offensive clinic. They are up double digits early, kind of gets tight in the middle to, you know, second, third or fourth portions of the game. And then Tennessee runs away with it late. Um, I'm already starting to see the Kentucky people in my life, whether it's media people or just people that have crossed paths with podcast wise, very pissed Cal's defense. They have an O and two week, I believe. Um, what do you kind of make of the, this result and what it says about Tennessee and Kentucky? Yeah, for Tennessee, I mean, my, like we we said this for a couple of weeks, I mean, that, that's a Final Four caliber team. I know t if you're an Ole Miss fan, you know, Tennessee is not somebody that we like to root for often, but I'm a big Rick Barnes fan. And I would – there's this narrative out there with him on, you know, not being able to win the big one come March. I think it'd be really awesome to see them kind of make a run this year and him be able to squash that because he's been able to do just about everything outside of that at both Tennessee and Texas. Um, they guard, they're super efficient offensively, and then they've got a great, you know, they've got a lot of experience on that team, whether, whether it's returning or transfers as well. Um, you know, for Kentucky, <laughs> you know, every time they lose, it seems like there's a cow conversation that comes around. Before this week, though, I mean, I thought that they were having a uh, a pretty good year. I think they had some guys out in one of the games uh, in the past week or two that they lost as well. 
Um, but, you know, the big thing for Cal, you know, if they finish in the top, you know, if they're a, a double bye in the SEC tournament um, and they win a game or two in the turn, the NCAA tournament, I mean, I, I don't think that's there's there's no story unless they kind of bottom out the rest of the year and then uh, lose in the first round of the tournament when it comes to his job status, in my opinion. I read a buddy of mine's coverage of just everything last night because I was kind of curious diving into it. So he's like 63, 64 years old. He apparently has a clause in his contract that kicks in this year where he can go take a if he were to step away, take a gig in the athletic department at like a one million dollar a year salary. I don't know if that's meaningful or anything at all, but I'm just curious if it did kind of go sideways or even if he just kind of left like a Mike White-esque situation, what do you think he would do and where would he go? I don't know. That's interesting to hear. I don't really see him being an administration guy. I don't either Uh, at all. Now, he is a hell of a marketer, right? I mean, he is the Jimmy Valvano of our generation when it comes to marketing. I mean, he when you think of one and done, you think of Cal. Um, I, I don't know. You know, he's kind of if he was four or five years older, I'd kind of say that I think he'd just kind of be done. Um, he'd be pretty interesting on TV, I think, as well, because he's so marketable. Um, people that know him say he's a lot more likable of a guy than I think the common opponent, opposing fan sees. Um, I, I don't I don't know that I could I, I don't know that I could see him working in the foundation. You know this a lot better than I would because. You, you you know you have a relationship with him and have done press conferences and stuff but i've always thought that you know if mike was ever bianco was ever done with the coaching piece or you know wanted to you know go watch you know his boys play or whatever the case you could see him kind of being in like in a, a deputy or associate ad role or working for a foundation I, i've always like that would make sense to me um, and I'd love to hear your stance on that as well if, if you push back. But, like, Cal is not somebody that I could see doing that. Mike, it's, I could definitely see it. I never understood the AD thing. Um, Mike is very old school in good ways and bad. He's very gruff. I could see him taking a role like that to remain involved because I really do think he loves living here, loves this place and all of that. Um, you know, his kid's getting older as well. But like the other side of me too could just see him piecing out and going to Florida and like literally running like a like some sort of baseball training facility or something, as odd as that sounds. He's just such a hardcore baseball guy. I could see it going either way, but I do think he has the chops and the personality to do the, you know, a foundation admin side of it. Cal, I'm kind of with you. Not it's not that he Cal couldn't do it because he reminds me of like a car salesman, but like I would think he would need something a little more frontward facing because uh he seems seems to love the marketing and the branding and the 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 front facing side of things. More yeah, so like he needs to be kind of he needs to be the face. Yeah, exactly. So I'd be curious to see kind of what would be next for him. But that uh, that'll take us through the SEC this week. Ole Miss, as you just pointed out, just one game this week, so we'll kind of see how that goes. But I appreciate the time, my man. We'll talk to you again here soon. Sounds like a plan. Okay, that's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate Bracken's time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, going to have some basketball and some baseball content coming down the pipe here fairly soon. So thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, we'll talk to you again here real soon.